<laughs> so um, this evening I'm going to pick up a theme that's suggested by one of the participants in the stream, Dhamma stream. It's around the topic of word that comes up in the text is nipita. Sometimes translated num- translated in a number of ways. Um, disillusioned, disenchanted. You might see it as disgusted, or even quite revolted. <laughs> so it's a very strong movement away, which is in and in Dhamma practice, is, this is considered to be a good thing. Uh, uh, of course, this is the way the word is translated, nipita. And uh, the person is saying, well, yeah, I experienced a certain amount of disillusionment when I recognized that perhaps the world was never going to be a, a very just place or a fair place or a place where things would be free from corruption and, and so on and free from bias and so on. But then the problem is one gets kind of um, despondent and what's the point? Uh, yeah. What's the point? Uh, disillusioned in a negative sense. And person's asking, well, okay, this, this, it's true that perhaps things aren't going to work out the way I want them to. It's been a long my life, it hasn't happened. But I end up in this rather stuck, impotent state. I'm kind of interpreting what the person is saying, um, feeling, well, you know, where do I go from here? What happened to joy, creativity? Yeah. Well, where did that go? How does that happen? Isn't that important? And I'd say, yeah, I think it is important. One feels joy and maybe creativity in a, in a good sense. One is able to bring forth potentials and uh, discuss things in a fruitful way, bring forth the good in a creative way, and to feel a sense of potency. We're fulfilled. We are, you know, we're quite richly endowed creatures, human beings. We have humour, we have wit, we have clarity, we have knowledge. Can't we make this something that's rather, rather rich and fulfilling? So what happened to all that? Is that all just something that we discard? So, as is often the case, the word itself is rather slippery as you translate something from Pali into English. I mean, I think these are reasonable translations but you don't necessarily see the context in which the word is used. And this word nibita is not just feeling fed up, <laughs> which is which is not that difficult to do. <laughs> but it's it's considered to be a, a kind of a change of heart or a change of view that occurs through uh, quite a quite a profound process. And one example occurs in this. Anguttara Nikaya Book of the Tens, the second sutta, which it goes through a whole sequence of, of progressive realizations. The first is that you realize if you develop virtue, then you feel a sense of freedom from remorse. If you feel freedom from remorse, you feel a bit uplifted, gladdened, um, helps your body to calm down, your mind feels happy, your body feels relaxed comfortable, your mind settles down, you enter into deep samadhi, that deepens. And as a result of samadhi, it's called you see things as they really are. 
you have insight. So samadhi supports a clarity. You know, your mind isn't dithering, wavering, crashing around, caught up in moods, stuck in this, that and the other. It's deeply settled and firm. And samadhi is essentially a uh, fruitful, warm state. And it's also very firm. And from this, one begins to see certain characteristics, things as they really are. What does this mean? Well, now we're looking really not so much in terms of, you know, social affairs, social justice, um, other people's behavior. We're looking into the roots of how we experience things. And we begin to experience that whatever arises, passes. Um, things are not complete. Um, they're not owned by somebody. This realization of not-self. Experience as it happens, just happens. Um, it doesn't form a concrete entity. Right? In other words, this notion of ourselves is generally created by a very fast-moving uh, series of actions, of thought, referencing, mood, memory, wish, inclination of one kind or another. This generates this sense of this is me. When you try to find out what me is, you probably realize it's quite a strong sense, a meanness, but it doesn't really have a fixed, you know, it has a certain patterns to it, but you, know, you can't, it doesn't have ownership over anything. It doesn't really control anything. Um, you can't really exactly say what it is. You can say what it does. It gets happy, it gets saddened, it gets afflicted, it gets interested, it gets disappointed. You can see you can see what it does, but what it is you know what it, when, as soon as you ask the question what it is, the mind has to move. I'm I must be this because I'm thinking that. I must be this because I'm feeling that. It always refers to an subtle and continual activity. So this is anatta. What experience is made of is, is constant activities, and some of them are very habituated. And a lot can be placed upon that self experience to come into a pattern that feels comfortable and firm and steady and, you know, whatever. It feels good. And this doesn't happen. <laughs> And this search is called becoming. The search to become something yeah, uh, that will arrive at this final place where everything is settled and it doesn't happen. And then, of course, it can swing the other way where I want out of this, I just want to dissolve and disappear. This is called vibhava. I want out. I don't want to experience anything at all. I want out. I want to just shut things down altogether. And that may sound rather like what Nibbana is, but it isn't. And so these two tides, Bhava and Vibhava, are the cross currents, the, the different tides that the mind goes through as it swings into, well, I could do this, I could do that, I want to be this, I want to be that, into, ah, oh, well, I'm never going to get this, I'm out of this. So a negative mood. And this negative mood is negative. Vibhava's got a, a depressive an annihilationist, a nihilistic streak to it. This is not what Nibhidha is about. 
you know, but you begin to see this, this, this experience, and instead of tethering a self to this process, you see the process is this, and that which sees the process of self, of thought, of emotion, of sense contact, as essentially unsatisfactory, impermanent, and not self, it says, it turns away. Like, you don't need to do that. <laughs> yeah, because there is a witnessing of that. Hmm. There can be a witnessing of that experience of, of conditionality, can be seen, can be experienced, and also, the mind, heart, the chit is made been firm and comfortable in itself. So bear in mind, concentration here, samadhi, is not concentration on some particular thing, object, but the consolidation of the heart's energy into itself. Yeah? So normally... The heart's energy runs out into senses, like, oh, that's great. Oh, no, it's terrible. The heart runs out or jumps back. But it's generally bouncing around, dependent, bounced by objects, bounced by sights, bounced by thoughts, bounced by feelings, bounced around by them, so ricochets around. And samadhi, it doesn't do that. <laughs> doesn't bounce. It consolidates its energies in itself and it starts to feel really comfortable. I'm not bouncing around in that. Well, why do that? <laughs> you know, why bounce around in all that stuff? And now it's got an alternative to doing that. So, well, clearly I don't want to go there anymore. Why bother? So, this is <laughs> Nipita. You know, it's like growing up, in a way, spiritually, just as we might say, I don't bother with my rattle anymore because I'm not two years old. I've done playing with my toys. I'm, I'm past that. I, they no longer excite me. They don't interest me. I don't see why I should have to deal with them. It's, I'm finished. Yeah. And this is the nibita, the heart turns away from being enmeshed in conditions and causes, and sights, and sounds, and thoughts. But it's still very, because of that turning away, it's actually opened into something brighter or more fruitful. And in this sutta, the Buddha says, okay, when this sense of nipita is present, has arisen, there is a sense of the heart is no longer impassioned, and it realizes the knowledge and vision of liberation. So this is a big step. This is not just feeling fed up. <laughs> this is the this is the sort of almost like the turning from seeking something in the conditioned world to a realization of the unconditioned. Nibida is that movement, that turning. Nibida. Don't go into. So ni is the negative. Bindo means to kind of dig into something. Don't get stuck into the conditioned reality, conditioned world. Ah, therefore there's this. One turns away from the aggregates.
This is peaceful, this is sublime. Stilling of sankharas, uh, relinquishing of acquisitions, um, destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. This is nibbida, not vibhava, not just a mood, but a radical shift of the heart's perspectives that um, gives rise to a liberation. And um, liberation, we understand, to be a rather enjoyable experience. <laughs> I don't think the Buddha regretted it. <laughs> he didn't want to go back to play with his toys anymore. He was pretty content with being enlightened. I think we can all recognize enlightenment is generally a rather agreeable, fruitful experience. Um, so with this, then one is eminently resourced then, because you know, think it through yourself. If the heart is not tethered, how can you be disappointed? Because you're not expecting something from the sense realm. You're not expecting people to be fair. You're not expecting the world to be a just place. Therefore, you're not angry. Um, you're not embittered. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you can't turn towards that from a place of compassion and ethical concern because that very quality is almost like the beginning. You know, you start with getting your ethics straight, right? Your sense of what's virtuous and proper and you're conducting yourself in that way. So that hasn't disappeared. But now you have the firmness to not get upset by other people's stuff and as we recognize if we look at it you know on an ordinary level you say you have every right to feel an angry and annoyed and disappointed with the cruelties and the stupidity and the corruptions in the world but how does that feel and the buddhist perspective is if you buy into anger you just put that stuff right in your own heart you have to sit in your anger you have to sit in your impotence you have to sit in your sense of being embittered you know, your heart has to sit in that is that fruitful does that make you a wiser stronger more compassionate clearer person probably not now i'm not going to find fault with people for those kinds of experiences, I sympathize with it. I certainly have experienced that myself. But it doesn't make me any more useful and it doesn't really make the world any more just. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Is it possible to bring around social change? Maybe so. But remember the perspective here is not really on the society as a nation or it's, it's about human beings um, you know people you associate with uh, how you can affect and i guess in the big picture we would say that if there is this change of consciousness this shift of awareness change of consciousness then those effects if they are can be made known and one is actually bringing into the world a quality of joy, 
and happiness and virtue, surely this is good. And whatever you can do from there um, is naturally something that you can pursue. So this isn't really dealing with social topics so much as dealing with the effects of the world in your own heart. And remember the world that the Buddha is talking about is the world that dependently arises in your own mind. It's not, it's not saying there's nothing out there at all, but our mind scans and picks up pieces of sense data and you know gathers together and taps the heart with them right the mind picks up pieces of information and sights and sounds and thoughts and ideas picks them up and it taps the heart with it and that that's the world the resonances that arise at that place that's your world So he's saying this is the world we want to get to the end of, not by wiping out, you know, the social world, but so much as no longer having this sense of the mind is constantly tapping the heart with these afflictive experiences or passionate experiences. The mind has gone quiet. It doesn't keep poking. Now another renowned sutta teaching the use that pivots around this term nipida is the the fire sermon which you can read for yourself sanyuta nikaya 35 book 35 sutta 28 and this is a renowned sermon it's supposed to be the third sermon that the buddha gave to a group of fire worshiping ascetics and it's renowned because it is, in some ways, it's stark. It's very stark and very simple. And it starts off with this famous phrase, all is burning, all is on fire. And he says, what is the all that's on fire? The eye is on fire. The ear is on fire. The nose is on fire. The tongue is on fire. The body is on fire. The mind is on fire. On fire with what? With birth, ageing, sickness, death, suffering, um, so forth. Right. <laughs> he was making a point. Because I think he was he was teaching fire worshipping ascetics, so there's a certain play there. You know, here you are worshipping fire, uh but you know <laughs> the fire I'm talking about isn't something you worship, it's something you want to put out because it's burning you up, right? And he's saying, this fire is not out there. It's the fire of passion and grief and sorrow that's burning your own heart up. And uh, uh, so he said, he talks about this. And he says, if you really survey this, that all these sense consciousness, which includes the manas, the mental consciousness, that is the consciousness that scans the senses, Manas, this consciousness of the mind that scans the senses, picks up that sight, that sound, that taste, and its own thought, and, and stitches them together. And that's the creator of the world. Right? You know, like, right now you could probably see something, you, could, you can hear something, you might be feeling something in your body. Those are all quite separate experiences aren't they really i mean a sight is nothing like a sound 
A tactile impression is nothing like a sight. They're all quite distinct. Almost, you know, you can't measure one in, in terms of another. You can't say, what does a, what does a, what does a touch sound like? <laughs> they don't fit together at all. Right? What fits them together is manas. It says, well, that sight yeah, reminds me of this idea. And so I'll focus on that. And when that sound comes in, that reminds me of a bird or a motorbike. Yeah, so I got this mental impression. So then my world is is made by the manas scanning very quickly and focusing on particular objects within the sense consciousness and of course within itself. It can be brooding over its own thoughts and fabulating a world around that. This person driving his motorbike outside my door why does he have to do this? I hate this sound. I'm trying to meditate. You know, you f focus on that and we forget. We don't notice what's happening in our ankles. We don't notice the fact that we're not hungry. We don't notice that we're warm and dry. We're not being rained upon. We notice the motorbike, right? <laughs> Which is annoying me. <laughs> so the mind <laughs> creates misery. <laughs> It creates, it could be another way, it creates desire. It creates fear, desire and aversion out of sense data. Now the sound itself has got no evil motivation. The sound is not annoyed with you, it doesn't want to hurt you, it doesn't care whether you hear it or not. It's just the sound. Why do you make it annoying? <laughs> because of mind, right? Right? And it can seem so impossible for it to do other than that. Why the mind is then on fire with delusion, on fire with greed, on fire with aversion, and it confabulates a world around these habitual patterns. And the habitual patterns are, I want it my way, even though I don't even know what I am. I don't know what I am, but I know what I want. Yeah. You know, I don't know what I am. Uh, so, who? What are we talking about? We're talking about desire. That's who I am. I'm desire and aversion. <laughs> right? Now, don't take it personally. This is just that the the construction of self and world is in these particular forms. And in any day, you can find yourself stuck on something. You're complaining about this and that and I never get this, and they always do that, and I don't think she likes me, and he's da 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 da. You know, your mind just stuck on some detail, and it makes a whole, builds up a world out of it. Now, sense consciousness gives rise to this experience of separation, doesn't it? So, visual sense means I see something there, I am here looking at that there. Right. So that it's always in front of me, because my eyes are stuck in the front of my head. Now the auditory consciousness says it's all around me. It could be any direction. Tactile consciousness says I'm in here, being stabbed by things, touched by things. So 
slightly different positions, but all of them feel some sense of separation from their objects, and yet it's not a complete separation. That is, we, we can't actually merge with what we're experiencing, but at the same time we can't get away from it either. So we're kind of on a string, tethered to the senses. Hmm. So this gives rise to greed and aversion and selfishness. I am this, that doesn't count. Mind consciousness adds to that by building up. It selects particular phenomena. It assesses. What do I think about this? Do I like it? What does it remind you of? What's the meaning of it? How useful is it? This is what the mind does. If it's not useful, why do I have to have it? If I don't like it, it shouldn't be here. That's what the mind does. <laughs> the mind compares. It could be this way, it could be that way. I don't like it this way, I like it that way. Now, whether you like it or not, whether the mind likes it or not, doesn't actually affect the phenomenon. You like the sound of the motorbike, you don't like it. It doesn't change the motorbike. It just makes you unhappy. <laughs> Right? or excited. That sound is not shifted at all by your wishes. What's happened is that, that quality of that bounces back into your heart and your heart gets stirred by this. The mind analyzes, the mind deduces. It says, well, and it starts to what we call line up the dots, which means you start to make a deduction. That motorbike that guy outside, he's an inconsiderate so-and-so because he's driving his motorbike. And he'll probably do it again tomorrow. Yeah. The fact you don't really realise he's taking his kids to school or something like that. So you make it, mind makes a deduction and it projects that into the future. And even you can project it into the past, like... I'm somebody who's always getting annoyed. I'm somebody who's all, never get any peace and quiet in this world whatsoever because there's always people doing crazy things. So you make a big um, scenario out of a particular phenomenon. That's what the mind does. I never get my own way. I never get a break because this is always happening. It's not always happening. The always happening is created by your mind, ignoring the times when it doesn't happen. Right? You know, if you hold your hand up, what do you see? You see five fingers, or do you see four spaces? Life is really this, and we get stuck on the index finger. You know, don't like that index finger. <laughs> don't like that bit. And what about? So they're not liking, and then the mind says, oh, I've always got to live with this. I'm stuck with this index finger. It's a really bad index finger. But yeah, 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 yeah. True. But what about the rest of it? Yeah. And so you fight and you complain and you compare. She's got a really good index finger. How come? <laughs> what a rotten deal I got. Must be bad karma. This is what the mind does. Yeah. And then the mind, if in a good world, everybody would have great fingers, you know. <laughs> And so on. So you can form a party based upon liberating the finger. 
so then in this fire service, this is the fire. But when you see it for what it is, as created, conditioned, and the underlying qualities of selfish, uh, self-obsession, um, desire, fear, aversion, you know, uh, so I don't want to. I don't want to keep injecting that into my heart. I don't want to keep saturating myself in that. And when there is this foundation in Dhamma, then the heart says, I go, no. it says, then you become Nibhida towards the eye, Nibhida towards sight, Nibhida towards eye consciousness, eye contact, and whatever feeling that arises, you are, you're, dis, you're Nibhidaed with it. It means you don't go into it. It's just that. It's just the sense consciousness doing that. And most significantly, it's the same with your mind. You don't go into the complaining. You don't go into that moment where the mind starts to pick things up and say, I, I shouldn't be like that. Don't, don't even bother. Because <laughs> yeah. you know it's not worth giving any energy to. And with training, you have some choice. Now, an untrained mind more or less has no choice. It just goes straight into it, into dukkha, into suffering, into becoming, into these patterns. A trained mind has gone, has a possibility of, no, I can... And this is really essentially what we're trying to do, be able to swing away from these patterns and behaviours. So the nibhita is a sense of seeing and no longer being enchanted with the scenarios, the prospects, the ideals, the ideologies, the promises that the mind creates. Yeah. And these aren't, you know, beautiful creations. These are habitual compulsive creations. These are poor me creations. These are rage creations. These are frustration creations. They're not even very nice creations. And so the average untrained mind just goes straight into it and makes more of it and then projects it out onto the world of other people like you shouldn't be this way and so on. Um, it's a certain disillusionment with that process because it's never going to arrive at a place of peace because the energies in it are not peaceful. It can never arrive at a place of joy because the energies in it are not joyful. It can never arrive at a place of stability because the energies in it are not stable. All those energies of passion and aversion and struggling are essentially unsatisfactory, incomplete, never arrive anywhere. So then the, the second section of the fire sermon says, then one is nibidad with all this. Because one is nibidad, then the heart is liberated. The jitta is liberated from craving, from passion, liberated from birth, suffering, aging, and death. It knows it's liberated. So this is the hinge point. I'll say that again. Very strong hinge point. Now you can take this all not just the world in general, but your own personal world. Um, when I say your personal, what I mean particularly as a as a Dhamma practitioner, you contemplate the habitual, the compulsive, um, 
to fix the self-patterning, right? The things that form a case around your heart that you become, right? Uh, these, do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, when you sit and meditate for a while, you'll find it, that's for sure. Because that's, you, those patterns start to stand out. Yeah. So when one isn't struggling with them, fighting with them, yeah, uh, comparing with somebody else's, wishing one didn't have them, and so forth, the awareness can then stop that agitated action. So I don't want to bother with that. But it's not giving up awareness. So awareness then begins as it steadies. Awareness, as it's steadied and stabilizes, nature is to widen, soften, expand from the contracted state. The pressure of being constricted within these patterns is off. The pressure of creating these patterns is off. The pressure of fighting with them is off. The, the sense of being oppressed by them is off. What happens when all that pressure is released? Oh. It's gone quiet. And our hinge point is to acknowledge the, the patterns, the world, the self patterns as they arise arising, remember they always arise within awareness because you can be aware of them and within that awareness you can be aware of these patterns but the habit is to go to the pattern rather than the awareness we go to the irritable feeling rather than the awareness of it we go to the um, disappointment. We go to the sense of feeling unwelcome, uh, feeling inadequate, uh, feeling judged. We go to those rather than the awareness of them. As so going to them and fixation and agitation. Now, having had enough of that process, realizing that process doesn't get you out of it. You, you stop doing it. And that's the, that's the nibida. And then from that, awareness can then open and liberation can be realized. So the um, beauty of the Buddha's Dhamma in, in teaching like this is that you don't actually have to have that good a, good a self. You know, you don't have to be so wonderful as a person. You don't have to be in a fantastic state of health. You don't have to have a whole load of smarts. You don't have to be even perfectly adjusted. <laughs> All you have to do is say, it's that. <laughs> it's that and not get caught in it. You, know, you don't have to try to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear, as they say. Most of us, I think all of us, are different kinds of sow's ears. <laughs> you know, do you know that expression? <laughs> But you don't, you know, it doesn't have to because you lose the passion and the agitation and the 
emotional engagement with it because you realise it's just the mind habitually scanning and stuck on particular memories and impressions and, and thoughts and ideas and sense contact. And just leave it alone. And there's a possibility. And the possibility is very much made not just an idea, but a reality through the experience of samadhi. Or oh, so that the mind consolidates its energies, steadies. So this is definitely a big um, advantage. But certainly the sense of this teaching is there because if you haven't arrived at that point, you can still get the message and you can start to practice. So that sense of dispassion eliminating hindrances because eliminating hindrances right ill will sense desire apathy and lethargy remember what a person can feel like impotent fed up it's really a form of what's called tinamida which is sense of sloth and torpor it means we're apathetic and indolent like why bother you know, fed up. I mean, and doubt. You just feel lack of confidence. So clearing those, yeah. Just clearing those, the mind is going to feel joyful. Once it feels more joyful, then that is the, to be lingered in, that is the experience of samadhi. Lingering in that quality of, of joyfulness when the hindrances aren't present. So this definitely gives you a, a changeover. So the Buddha was very clear, as most Dhamma teachers are, that you, you know you you got to really reorient. Don't orient yourself around sense consciousness. It's a it, it's a very limited possibility that human beings have. You know we have access to a lot better things than just what comes in through the five senses and the thinking mind don't get limit yourself to that because if you do limit yourself to that your chances of, be, of acting with dispassion with clarity with fairness with an even heart with joyfulness is severely limited <laughs> because sense consciousness is a very limiting effect on the heart it limits us into an extremely finite form where most of what happens we can't do anything about. Sights come in, sounds come in, yeah, touches happen to the body, we feel pain, sickness and so forth. It's an extremely limited state and we're kind of helpless within it fundamentally, right? You know, so it says don't orient yourself around that. Don't even seek that. Orient yourself around ethics for a start. So you linger in that. That's where you establish yourself. Whatever sight, sound comes in, I maintain non-violence, I maintain truthfulness, I maintain non-distractedness, I maintain clarity. Whatever sight, sound, touch comes in, whatever thought comes in, I maintain this. I maintain loving-kindness. 
not allowing ill will to take over my heart, not allowing rage and disappointment and resentment to take over my heart, right? not allowing depression to take over my heart. I maintain these qualities, kindness, compassion, gladness and equanimity. Right? So get that. This is something you have tremendous, no, no other creature has that capacity that humans have. This is your trump. This is your, not sorry, wrong word. This is your, your ace. <laughs> I can't use that word again. <laughs> this is your your best suit, put it that way. <laughs> and so from there, you, those are very beautiful foundations that in themselves are really worthwhile that give you a, a different angle. Well, you, you have some say because, you you know, they come from your heart. You can be ethical anywhere, any time of day or night, doesn't matter. Right? So you're not just stuck on sense consciousness, which is mostly determined by phenomena that you've got no say over. You have some independence here. And this sense of lingering in that and letting the heart consolidate in that samadhi, collectedness. I know it's got quibble about you know how much you have of it. <laughs> you know, it's that sense. Of, so it's, it's a shifting away from the world of the sense consciousness to the chitta, to the chitta itself. And then that then means that the manas quality is then led by the chitta rather than led by its own, by the external senses or by its own confusion. So then we can think and direct our attention in ethical ways. We can think and direct our intentions and focus on and consider and analyze qualities of compassion and how to produce them, how to present them. You've still got this manas quality, but now the heart has taken hold of it and turned it from the sense consciousness to the Dhamma. Right? Because if you don't, it's going to get turned by sense consciousness and then it's going to come, all its effects are going to come running into your heart. Right? So either you get hold of it or it gets hold of you. Either your heart gets hold of that or it gets hold of your heart. Yeah. Which is it going to be? Someone who has really seen and understood says, look, you know, lose interest in that being tugged around by this sense consciousness. Establish a Dhamma consciousness instead. This will be for your welfare and it will lead to joy and liberation. Yeah. Is this selfish? Well, it's, <laughs> it's not, is it realizing not self selfish? <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe it is. <laughs> But in that sense, who isn't selfish? <laughs> uh, I mean, you're focusing on something you're directly responsible for. You're the only one who's really responsible for your heart, your chitta, right? So you could call it selfish. But if you're responsible for it, you make it unselfish. And therefore, you yeah, know, it's a focal point but it's for the welfare of your, of your own body, mind, and for your relationships with others, 
and for the way you behave and it gives you the sense of uh, you know ability to f- bring forth potential from the heart this is creativity this is beauty and so this is not um, separate from the disenchantment with the world that comes in through our, our senses it's not it's 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 essential there is a disenchantment with one set of data so there can be a deepening commitment and enrichment with another set of data the data of liberation so i'll pause there for this evening i think as probably becomes evident you know, all dhammas, all the teachings come down to the same kind of points. When you when you look at them, when you begin to explore them, it always brings us back to purity and virtue and, and bringing forth from our own hearts what is, what is true and right and knowing it and enjoying it. So I hope this uh, uh, is something you can get some nourishment from, some encouragement in and some joy in. So I'll stop there for this evening, or this morning, or whatever you want to call it.